welcome to this TLT and Cornwall Insight podcast series where we'll be focusing on the exciting rollout of electric vehicle charging infrastructure. So alongside this series we've prepared a report on on this very topic. Today we're thrilled to be joined by one of the report's contributors, uh, Neil Riddle, co-founder and CEO of Powertech. Good morning, Emma. Um, thank you both Cornwall Insight and TLT for inviting me to have this conversation. Um, so at Power, we are focused on aggregating multiple public charge point networks together to enable a seamless charging experience with a particular focus on fleets. Um, my background has been with uh, large energy utilities for 15 years or more. Um, and through that time, gradually, I found my way into the world of innovation. And latterly, that led me to leading the electric vehicle team at EDF um, and identifying a number of the problems that we're trying to address with power as gradually we see the convergence of electricity sector um, as an infrastructure provider to the modern decarbonisation question of transport. The development of electric vehicle charging infrastructure, we know and we've seen that it's accelerated in in the past 12 to 18 months or so. Um, What in your view has been the driver or or the drivers uh, behind that? So we quite often in the past, we referred to this balance of infrastructure and vehicles as the chicken and egg problem. And I guess the answer is the chickens are coming. Um, the, the reality is that as more and more people adopt um, electric vehicles and more vehicles are available, there is a requirement to ensure that the charging infrastructure is also available for them. Um, we are at Power are very much a public charging specialist. We're focused on uh, supporting solutions in the public charging space. Um, And I think in particular, public charging has benefited from an increased awareness by all parties of the changes that we're seeing in this sector. Um, We've clearly seen that there have been a number of incentives over the last couple of years that have driven uh, grant-based incentives often that have driven people to select electric um, as their preferred next vehicle type, um, alongside obviously the world of business and fleets adopting electric as part of a broader decarbonisation agenda. Topics such as EV100 have enabled people to consider it as an important part of their uh, climate mitigation strategies. Um, So, you know, overall, what we're seeing is more and more vehicles coming into both fleets and individual drivers' hands, and then the infrastructure has to develop alongside that. Um, And as the the topic has hit the headlines um, and people have read more and seen more about it, people have started to understand what the implications are. Um, That's enabled people to understand the risks, enabled people to assess the opportunities. um, And overall, what we've seen is a general upskilling of uh, both developers, uh, hosts, owners, fleets, businesses to understand what it means to have electric vehicles, but also to understand what it means to transition the infrastructure required to enable us to, to host these electric vehicles in this new transport ecosystem. So what, in your view, are the opportunities and, and potential risks, actually, for, for hosts and be that leisure, retail or, or other destination activities? So it's my view that in the future, destination charging will be viewed much like Wi-Fi. Um, at some point, if you don't have it, your customers are going to go elsewhere because it's going to be a service that is required for many, many vehicle drivers, um, particularly as we go beyond the, the 1% of drivers that we have today. Uh, the interesting thing today about those um, those drivers is they represent a particular customer segment. Um, so I recently noted that my local garden centre now has an electric vehicle charge point. It's only a single charge point, 
But if you walk around the car park on an average Saturday or Sunday, you'll find five or 10 electric vehicles in that car park. Um, and it just so happens, as <laughs> based on a very limited selection of analysis, that people who drive electric vehicles also visit garden centres. So what do you do? You put a charge point in, it enables the garden centre to uh, attract, become more attractive to EV drivers and therefore increase its long-term revenue. So I think there's a really interesting part of the ecosystem today about um, how you can attract a certain customer type. Now, the risk with this is that electric vehicle charging is still a relatively new area for uh, most of the hosts. If you run a garden centre in this particular case study, um, you're probably focused on making sure you've got right seasonal plants, understanding how you get more revenue from your cafe, what additional goods to sell, you know, how do you manage your car parking, 101 other things beyond understanding, you know, the technology associated with electric vehicle charging. So it might help if someone in that garden centre drives an electric vehicle, but the risk is that you potentially can adopt the wrong technology. Perhaps it's not internet connected, perhaps it's a dumb technology or something that's not future proofed. So you install one charge point when actually you need 10. Uh, so there's a really interesting question around, um, and we'll come back to this theme again and again, you know, the understanding, the education, the, the skill set required to ensure the right infrastructure is in the right place. And, you know, if we continue that case study of destination charging, under the Go Ultra Low scheme many years ago, um, a huge number of free vend electric vehicle charge points were deployed. Um, the the risk there was that all of those free VEN charge points were connected to a host, someone's building. Um, and originally, the free VEN was not a big issue because it was small volumes of electricity to a small number of drivers. But as we see more and more drivers, that cost uh, for you know basically providing free electricity to those drivers increases. Now, if you have a, a strong case whereby your garden centre, your, your supermarket benefits from increased revenue, then maybe that's not a problem. But for some, that will be a problem. And when you add on to that, that each of those charge points needs to be managed somehow, you need to have a, an understanding of what it takes to repair it, to do a soft restart, to ensure that the customer, when they turn up, knows how to use that charge point and you don't need an individual on the front desk explaining how to use the charge point every time, then you know there's quite a lot more to it than simply digging a hole and connecting a charge point. So as a consequence, I think it's really important that hosts understand the, the requirements they might need to put in place to manage that charge point, make it easy for the driver, um, and ultimately ensure that they can service more and more customers going forward with this technology. The space for some of those, um, those destinations to consider rapid charging as well. Um, you know, the reality is that um, you know, your garden centre visit might only be 45 minutes. Uh, 45 minutes on a rapid charger gives you a lot of power. Um, you know, and during the week when you might not be seeing huge numbers of uh, garden centre visitors, there'll be opportunities for business to arrive and use that rapid charger. And by the way, when they're there, they might well grab themselves a coffee or something to eat at the same time. So, you know, having a mix, the blend of the right technologies will be something that these businesses and hosts will learn about as we go forward. And what more do you think can be done to accelerate funding in, into electric vehicle charging infrastructure? So, so I've already sort of hinted at my, my initial thought on this, which is there's a huge amount of education, education, education. Um, and I'm not a big fan of the words, but and, you know, a general and increasing awareness of what uh, the transition to electric vehicles means, but also an understanding of what the infrastructure implications are for hosts, for those who, who can uh, support that transition is really important. Um, 
one of the things that I personally am very passionate about and working at Power, you know, we're focusing on this very heavily, is the role of public charging. Uh, we really do need to help people better understand uh, where public charging fits in. Um, the importance of public charging in saving time, money, and ultimately, as we all know, helping save the planet. And what I'm referring to here is the fact that um, many uh, businesses in particular who we focus on and work with are focusing on delivering either depot-based charging, um, you know, right where their, where their fleet turns up every morning and maybe recharges or recharges overnight, or they're focusing on home charging. Um, and the consequence of focusing on these two segments is that it's created a certain mindset as to how much electric vehicle charging costs. Um, what you quite often hear people say is, well, I can charge my car for five pence at home. Um, and that five pence uh, per kilowatt hour that they're referring to is effectively the variable cost of charging their cars, the marginal cost of putting a unit of electricity into that vehicle. Uh, and then, then turn to you and go, well, why would I ever pay 25 or 30 pence to charge my vehicle in the public domain? Um, and what that often indicates is that they have you know, simply removed or forgotten to consider the cost of putting that infrastructure in in the first place. So if you if you take that case study of five pence at home and say 30 pence in the public domain, um, the 30 pence in the public domain covers um, the electricity that goes into the vehicle, the cost of the infrastructure, uh, the cost of any lease or payment to the, the, the parking bay or the space that it's in, the cost of any maintenance, cost of any repair. But of course, it also considers the number of drivers that can go through that location, so the utilization capability. So if you take a, you know, a, a public 30 pence fast charger on the street um, and compare it with a home charger on the same basis, so you're comparing apples with apples, the home charger has a cost. You had to install it in the first place. So there's an installation cost, there's a piece of hardware cost, um, and clearly it's been subsidized in many, many cases. So you, know, you take the subsidy back into account, you then consider um, you know, how often you might need to maintain that. Clearly, most people don't bother maintaining their home charge point until it breaks, uh, but there's a maintenance cost or a replacement cost. Uh, there's then obviously the grid connection cost, which most homeowners don't consider. Standing charge for electricity, again, not usually considered. And then of course, the value of having your own you know, private parking right outside your house. So once you bake all of those things back into the cost of charging at home, you quite quickly establish that, you know, for those that do have the benefit of charging at home, there is actually a very similar cost between public charging and home charging. But because we don't compare apples with apples, we continue to forget this. It's actually my view that in the longer term, public charging will be cheaper than home charging, simply on the basis that if you've got similar costs to build the infrastructure and similar costs to charge the car for the electricity cost, you can have more people utilizing the public charger in the long term rather than just one person on your home driveway. So once you divide the three num two numbers through between each other, you end up with a solution that says that public charging could end up being cheaper than home charging, which I think is a, a bit of a shock to most people I describe this to. Yeah, I guess I guess the, the last thing to consider around that ecosystem is subsidies. Um, you know, we've we've seen history in the energy industry where uh, the removal of subsidies has actually reduced costs. Um, so I have a view that uh, trying to remove subsidies from uh, a lot of the uh, electric vehicle charging ecosystem or translate them from one area to another could be hugely beneficial. Um, I suspect we'll see the cost of home charge points drop by removing subsidies. 
simply by the way that the subsidies themselves have been set up. Uh, there will, of course, be a need for some form of ongoing support for some sectors of society. So rural areas or those out in um, communities that maybe don't justify a private infrastructure provider building an asset will probably continue to need um, uh, some form of subsidy. You know, I'm thinking the highlands and islands of Scotland or mid Wales, where the utilisation numbers aren't great, but, you know, looking to rebalance subsidies to the areas that really need them rather than just providing a blanket blanket subsidy would be an important step in the de development of this EV charging infrastructure. How do you see the market developing over time? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, so I mentioned earlier that we're probably around about 1% of our car park of entire vehicles in the UK that are battery electric today. Um, the Those who have adopted battery electric vehicles today have, will have had to take on the innovators question, you know, what are all the challenges they need to meet and deliver against in order to adopt this new technology? And one of the things that many, many, many of them will have assessed is their ability to charge at home. Um, if you have access to a private driveway outside your house, uh, you're probably pretty well suited to adopting an electric vehicle because your private driveway is right outside your house. You can put a charge point in and nothing beats the ability to plug in at night wake up in the morning and find your car charged. You don't, you can't do that with petrol and diesel. It's genius. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and therefore, as a consequence, we've seen a very high domination of home charging within the um, the, the fleet of uh, battery electric vehicle drivers we've got today. And I think Nick Woolley was quoted at saying that something like 80 to 90 percent of people home charge. And that, you know, that reflects the, the mix of drivers we've got and, and their ability to do that. But as we move forward, we're going to see an increasing proportion of drivers who do not have access to home charging. So if you take the, the, the base numbers that I think we're relatively familiar with, something like 40 percent of drivers don't have access to private parking and therefore they can't do home charging. But of that remaining 60 percent who do have some form of access to private parking, there's going to be a very large proportion, perhaps as much as half, who don't have the ability to install a charge point. Now, what I mean by that is you're in a block of flats. You do have a numbered bay downstairs in the underground car park, but you can't install a charger there. It's up to the landlord. Or you maybe have um, you know, a, a terrace set of houses that have got some dedicated parking spaces out behind them, but you can't actually run a power cable from your house to that parking bay, and therefore you can't use it. So there'll be a number of uh, situations in that group of 60% who do have private parking who can't use a charge point. So quite quickly, if you assume half of them can't do that, you've got 70% of the market who can't home charge. So you can see quite a rapid transition away from, you know, this 80 or 90% of people home charging into many more people dependent on different solutions. And those solutions could be um, curbside recharging, the likes of Ubertricity and Chargy, or it could be the, the use of destination charging, as we talked about earlier, or potentially charging at the workplace. But that, you know, that ecosystem of pure home charging is one of the areas I expect to change very significantly with a, a tendency towards more forms of public charging, including en route, um, destination um, or curbside recharging. Um, probably the other thing that's interesting to look at is the sustainability of the business models. The in the public domain, the most sustainable business model today is probably rapid charging. The ability to uh, demonstrate that you can get a high number of vehicles progressing through that single charge point to enable you to get a break even at a certain number of charge events 
um, is really what is enabling investors to put money into this space. The space that is going to struggle more is perhaps that curbside ecosystem where you might only have one person who uses it overnight. Um, you know, let's say they do seven nights a week overnight charging because you've got a couple of different users. You then end up in an ecosystem whereby you've got a, a scenario where um, your, your return on investment for the infrastructure you're putting in place isn't that strong. So as a consequence, I think this is an area that's going to need considered um, attention from either local authorities um, or government to understand how they can encourage that curbside recharging ecosystem. Um, it's an area where fleets feel particular pain points. It's an area which I think deserves a little bit more attention. The bit that then most interests me from my power perspective is we are effectively going through a transition from a petrol and diesel fueled transport ecosystem to one which is seeing new energy vectors, including electricity. Um, and as we do that, we have the opportunity to fundamentally reshape the way that we, we, uh, we interact with that infrastructure. Every single one of these public electric vehicle charge points that's being deployed today is pretty much an internet connected device. That means that we have new digital ways we can interface with that asset. Um, with the rise of those um, internet connected assets, we can see more and more automated ecosystems. And I love the idea, and we've demonstrated this capability to simply pull up at a charge point, plug in, and charging starts automatically. For me, that's where the future sits. Uh, it's much more simplified. There's no, much less involvement of the consumer. The whole thing just works the way it should do. Um, and I've surprised a few people in the past who don't drive electric vehicles by describing this plug and charge capability, and they go, oh, I thought you could just do that. It's what consumers that are coming down the road are going to expect. So I'm excited to see what the opportunities are for this digitally connected infrastructure to automate the way we engage with it.